But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Good evening and welcome again to our Wednesday Bible study. Here at the Hamilton Street Church of Christ, things are kind of empty right now as we shelter in place here in our county and in our town. We miss seeing you. We hope that you're staying well and safe. We hope that as you shelter in place, you have what you need. And please don't hesitate to call us if we can bring you something or help you in some way. We enjoy, I enjoy visiting with several of you during the week and hope that we'll always stay connected uh, even after this is over so that we can list, let each other know that we are loved and that uh, we will be together soon. You know, God rewards those who diligently seek him, as the Hebrew writer said. In order to come to God, we must believe this great truth. Confidently acting on our faith and passionately pursuing him, we will find the God whom we were created to enjoy. He has promised that we will not only find him, but we will find in him all that our hearts truly desire. In times of comfort, no less than in times of pain, we must always seek God. We must seek him with diligence and determination, as well as love, trusting that at the end of our search, he himself and he alone will be our reward. Two things are needed. We must see that our deepest need is for God. And then we must see the, seek the fulfillment of that need in God only. The first of these is perhaps the hardest to do. On the surface, we seem to desire so many more visible and more immediate things that it's hard to understand how deeply we need God. But deeper than all our other wants is this ultimate desire, our longing for God. We long for him because we were created for him. And when we honestly and humbly recognize the importance of this need, then we are ready to seek God. We must devote ourselves wholeheartedly to finding him, our most fervent hope being to come into his presence and enjoy his fellowship. We tend not to seek God when our lives are comfortable. If our temporal needs are met, we imagine that we can take care of ourselves and well, we forget about God. Only God can perfectly satisfy our hunger and our thirst, and he is always leading us in the direction of satisfaction in him. He is teaching us, if we have the hearts to learn, that he is the only thing we can't do without. A.J. Cronin once wrote, Above all, I am convinced of the need irrevocable and inescapable of every human heart for God. No matter how we try to escape, to lose ourselves in restless seeking, we cannot separate ourselves from our divine source. There is no substitute for God. In Genesis 1 and verse 27, the writer tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Surely it is no coincidence that we yearn for God. This profound longing cannot have resulted from a quirk in the operation of merely physical forces. Our hunger for righteousness is no caprice of nature. We desire God because we were created to do so by God himself, the creator in whose image we were made. As our beginning, he is the only perfect end toward which we were meant to move. Human beings are inherently religious. Spinoza once said, we feel and know that we are eternal. Though we may often distract ourselves with lesser concerns, we still experience a deep-rooted longing for communion with the divine. The wisest man who ever lived wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, God has put eternity in our hearts. We instinct instinctively reach out for concord with the source of our being. 
As creatures made in God's image, we long for relationship with other personal beings. And if we need personal relationship with our fellow creatures, we need it even more deeply with our Creator. We were designed for what the scriptures call fellowship with God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. Without that essential involvement, our spirits waste away in emptiness. The purpose of our existence is described in a familiar old tradition. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These words well state the ultimate fulfillment that is available to us. Looking at the matter from our perspective, but from God's perspective, we may not also, may we not also say that God gave us the power to glorify and enjoy him in order that he might show forth his goodness through us. We are vessels, instruments through whom God intends to demonstrate his goodness in our actions. If we're alienated from God, he can't fully reveal his goodness through us. If his purpose isn't being fulfilled in us, we can't experience the joy for which we were designed. And if we miss that joy, all else in the world is futility and frustration. Psalm 63 verse 1 reminds us, Oh God, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Having been made by God, we long for him. When our hearts hurt in this world, we are what we call homesick. George MacDonald said, He that is made in the image of God must know him or be desolate. 1 John 1 and verse 3, as I mentioned earlier, actually says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. A need for rich personal relationship is deeply embedded in our created nature. We owe our existence not to impersonal forces, but to a personal creator. And it was the creator himself who said in Genesis 2 and verse 18, It is not good that man should be alone. We are personal beings, and we are designed for full, vibrant relationship. But sin destroys relationship. It severs us from God and from others, cutting us off from this thing that is so necessary to our nature. So there is perhaps no symptom of sin any more obvious than the deep gnawing pain of isolation. And in sin, there is no groaning more desperate than to be freed from our loneliness. But however, however much we need relationship in general, our most vital need, the one that we can't survive without, is our need for relationship with God. George MacDonald again said, In every man there is a loneliness, an inner chamber of peculiar life into which God only can enter. Our craving for God is a dependency we were meant to have. It is a profound need for perfect relationship. And to try to fill this need with our flawed connection to other human beings is not only wrong, it's hopeless. If we fail to let God fill our need for love, if it is not in him that our loneliness is taken away, then we will force an impossible mandate on the imperfect people around us. We will demand from others a satisfaction they aren't capable of providing for us in this broken world. Only the infinite God is able to relate to us perfectly. And even with God, what we can have in this life is only a foretaste of the perfect union that heaven will provide. When we find that even our most intimate earthly companions can't provide the depth of relationship for which we were created, bitterness may be the tempting reaction. Yet there is a healthier response. We can see the imperfections in our own relationships as a reminder. God alone 
is the one to whom we must look for life and unfailing love. To forget that is to lose the path that leads back home. One writer put it this way, Didst thou give me this inescapable loneliness so that it would be easier for me to give thee all? Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 15 says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Because of the damage sin has done to this world, our hearts will never find what they truly need here. This world is simply not what it was created to be, and to live in it is to hurt deeply. No one has tasted the bitterness of our experience any more than God himself. He has lived among us, and when, he had, when his great heart pondered the magnitude and hurtfulness of what has gone wrong, it's summed up in John 11, verse 35, when it says, Jesus wept. You see, it is foolish to underestimate the brokenness of the world, yet it is also foolish to underestimate God. Let's talk about that. It is foolish to underestimate the brokenness of this world. The more truly wise we become, the more we see the utter wretchedness of our earthly condition. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 18 says, In much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The wise man who has come to see that this world is tragically and irretrievably, irretrievably broken will tend to be a man of sorrows. The unwelcome truth is this. We cannot have anything more than partial happiness as long as we live here. Our deepest needs cannot be and will not be fully met in this life. To pretend otherwise is dangerously dishonest. And we'll be better off the minute we stop denying the seriousness of our unmet needs. But that second thing I told you, it is also foolish to underestimate God. As much as we need to face this world's brokenness, we need even more to face the ultimate reality of God. We must learn to see His mercy as our salvation, His promise as our joy. As we fix our hope on His perfection, however, we must still not forget the imperfection of the world that we presently live in. God's Son did not die to make us healthier wealthier and happier in the here and now he died to redeem us from the sin that is in our hearts and to give us eternal life god gives us help but he does not plan to fix this world what he plans is to fix us and then bring us to live where he is as for this world god plans to destroy it Aeschylus said in our sleep pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Let us deal no more in superficial, sentimental solutions. Let us let God be God. Blaise Pascal put it this way, to know God without knowing of man's misery causes pride. To know of man's misery without knowing of God causes despair. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 8 goes on to say, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. To beings made for fellowship with God, the world of temporal things by itself can never be wholly satisfying. What we find is that the world, even at its best, exhausts us and leaves us longing for, well, something more. Shakespeare wrote it this way, Oh God, oh God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. It is a frustrating, disappointing task to try to hold forever things that are essentially impermanent. We may spend many of our years looking for lasting fulfillment, but at some point most of us come to see that temporal things simply can't fill eternal longings. 
when we try to make them do so, we place upon the things of this world a greater burden than they can bear. Isaiah 29 and verse 8 paints it this way. It shall be even as when a hungry man dreams and look, he eats, but he awakes and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams and look, he drinks, but he awakes and indeed he is faint and his soul still craves. We would get more real joy from this world if we could pay more attention to the world to come. Our problem is not asking too much of the world, but too little of God. C.S. Lewis said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We are far too easily pleased. To seek the greater things of God is to get more from this world, not less. Edward Young wrote, He sins against this life who slights the next. The tiresomeness of temporal life by itself ought to be a clue to the fact that we were meant for more. There are many good things here to enjoy, but if we pretend that this world is all we need, we cheat ourselves. We satisfy ourselves with so pitifully little when our hearts were made for so much greater joy. But even so, God keeps enticing us to be truly refreshed. A wise man once said, for when we approach God and seek to live according to his purpose, he knows and we know whence we have come from. The restlessness of the world, from the tribulation of human events, from the feeling of discouragement, from the lack of faith, from the failure to hear the message, from the twilight of moral and spiritual exhaustion. If you go back to that passage that I read at first, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and let's just remind ourselves of what it says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, let's talk about that. Our seeking of God must be, and the word is diligent. But what does that mean? Well, it means that we must give ourselves to the quest for God with a priority and a passion that we don't invest in any other pursuit. God must be first in our hearts. We must be ready to sacrifice anything else, indeed all else, to see his face. Our hearts must be purged of any conflicting interest or competing desire. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In our longing for God, we must be utterly sincere. And in our seeking of God, we must be passionately committed. He deserves no less than our all. God's making of the world is such that we find it necessary to seek and to search for him. But in truth, Paul says in Acts 17 and verse 27, he is not far from each one of us. His hiddenness in this present broken world is not meant to hinder us from finding him, but to entice us. As he whets our appetite for himself, God is weaning us away from our sinful, self-sufficient rebellion. He is teaching us to love him. With convicting evidences of his power and loving tokens of his goodness, he is drawing us toward his eternal presence. God says in Hosea 11 and verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love. It is God's good pleasure to be found by all who long for him in honest, obedient love. God is not neutral with regard to the inclination of our hearts. He desires that we find him. He yearns for those who delight in him. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Yet there is a danger. We must not deceive ourselves that we are seeking God if in fact it is only certain blessings from God that we seek. Resisting the tendency to focus on ourselves, we must learn to seek him simply and contentedly. When we diligently do so, our reward will be God himself and he will fill our deepest longings according to the design of his own love. 
Having sought God earnestly, he will be enriched by the joy of a heart that overflows with his glory. H.G. Wells penned, Where there is faith, where there is need, where, where there is the true God, ready to clasp the hands that stretch out seeking for him into the darkness behind the ivory and the gold. Exodus 33 and verse 13, Moses prays, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may, that I may find grace in your sight. If our search for God is inspired by real love, we will not rest until we have come to know him as he truly is. Mere admiration may be content to sit and daydream, but real love gets up and blazes a trail toward the actual knowledge of God. Such a relentless love in the heart of one seeker is of more heavenly consequence than all the placid intellect in the world. Henry Ward Beecher once preached, Of all earthly music, that which reaches farthest into heaven is the beating of a truly loving heart. Knowing God is very much more than an informational exercise. We don't try to figure out God for the sake of curiosity. We seek to know him for the sake of love. And the love that moves us to know God is every bit as real and robust as worldly love. Oswald Chambers reminds us love for the Lord is not an ethereal, intellectual, dreamlike thing. It is the intensest, the most vital, the most passionate love of which the human heart is capable. Not all who say they love God have this passion, of course, but those who are lukewarm or haphazard will simply not find God. The good things that come from loving God are reserved for those who take him seriously. God says in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Only wholehearted love has the persistence required to find God. This kind of love is an active force, always compelling us to seek and to search and to know the other. It will never let us be content until we have entered deeply into relationship with our beloved. Love will find the way to find God. Love is bold and aspires to grandeur. Combining the qualities of reverence and courage, love dares to seek God himself. The deepest love in the human heart will settle for nothing less. It will not cease from its quest until it has found and known the very source from which it was created. Sarah Adams wrote that, that, beautiful, that beautiful hymn. Nearer, my God, to Thee, nearer to Thee, e'en though it be a cross, that raiseth me, still all my songs shall be nearer, my God, to Thee, nearer to Thee, nearer to Thee. Love cannot be inactive. Its life is a ceaseless effort to know, to feel, and to realize the boundless treasures hidden within its depths. This is its insatiable desire. And we want to seek God and know that if we diligently seek Him, we will be with Him and He will bless us now and forever. Thank you for spending this short amount of time with us. We pray we're all together soon. We'll have Bible class and we'll have worship and we'll be doing work together even beyond what we're doing now. Be sure to call somebody that you haven't seen in a while. Be sure to tell them that you love them, that God loves them, and tell them that, that we're going to be together soon. Stay connected, stay safe, stay healthy. You are loved.